Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast, where entrepreneurs come to learn how to live their truth, get rich, and make a massive difference in the world. I'm your host, Adam Force, co-founder at Change Creator and co-creator of the Captivate Method. Each week, we talk to experts about leadership, digital marketing, and sales strategies that you can implement in your business and life to go big. Visit us at changecreator.com forward slash go big to grab awesome resources that will help drive your business forward. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Change Creator Podcast show. This is your host, Adam Force. I'm excited to uh, jump into this next conversation because uh, fashion is such a big industry and there's a lot of um, bad practices, <laughs> let's just say. And so every time I, anytime I see an entrepreneur tackling those issues, um, I'm excited to talk more about it. You know, we had Rachel Fowler on here and some other people in the fashion space like Jake Orak, and they're doing a lot of great things. And so today we're going to be talking with, um, her name is Taryn LaRock, all right? And she was actually uh, previously a model until she launched her business in 2015, which is a sustainable brand called Sage LaRock. Um, and it is obviously a fashion brand. And they specifically offer women a sustainable and ethical alternative to traditionally made apparel. So she's going to dive into what that's all about and what she's trying to accomplish exactly and how she's doing it and things like that. So um, this will be a fun conversation. Now, if you missed the last episode, it was with Wei uh, and Wei. You know what? I don't remember exactly how to pronounce the last name. I think Hong. And, you know, he's a super smart dude. I met him back in January 2020 before COVID kind of took off. We were out in California at a summit for a mastermind we were both part of. And he did a great talk out there. And he talked about money mindset. That is his specialty. And so uh, this is a topic I'm always interested in. And if you missed that, you'll want to go back, check it out. There's a lot of good nuggets of information in there that will help you. Um, and guys, if you're not following us on Facebook yet, be sure to stop by, follow us on Facebook. Um, we share a lot of information and updates there. We'll be doing some more lives and videos and things like that. Um, and from there, you can also find the button to go to our Facebook group, be a change creator. All right. Um, and that group will have a little more in-depth conversation about different topics and business and things like that. All right, guys, that's it for now. We're going to kick this off. Uh, don't forget to stop by changecreator.com forward slash go big, get your goodies. Um, we'll be actually making some updates to that uh, very soon. Um, I think that's it. Let's jump into this conversation about the fashion world. Okay, show me the heat. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Taryn, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today? Good. Awesome. I, um, as I mentioned before we jumped on here, I'm excited to talk about the fashion industry. Um, there's just such a big matzo ball out there when it comes to fashion um, and the cost of, you know, we've all heard probably by now fast fashion or having supply chains that are, um, you know, not fair trade or there's children involved, you know, underage workers and things like that. So, so much. And then, of course, the pollution factor, right? Um, so I'm excited to hear more about, you know, your 
journey of why you started a fashion company and made that decision and um, kind of like where you are today and, and what's going on. So we'll dig into that stuff. Maybe you can just give us a little background to kick us off of, of kind of like why, why you're where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for years, I worked in the fashion industry in a different way. Um, I, I did some modeling work in the U.S. and Europe. And so I, I came out of that and I, I knew I wanted to be able to leverage the knowledge that I had gained um, from the industry. And I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, but also something that was sustainable um, so at that point I was looking into different avenues, whether I want to do textile design or, um, or work for a brand. And I just, I found it very challenging to, to find something that was in alignment with my principles of sustainability and, um, also from a human rights perspective. And I think what you said is it's, it's a big matzo ball is the best way to put it because, <laughs> and it's get, the industry is getting better, but going back to about 2012, 13, when I was, I was just working with this as a concept, Sage LaRock as a concept and a sustainable brand, um, that, that had that deeply embedded into our brand ethos. Um, there just, there wasn't a lot out there at that point. Um, so that's, that's how I kind of got started because I was having difficulty finding a job that was in alignment with my own principles, um, that I found would be interesting and could, um, could go in a direction where sustainability and, and ethical production would be at the forefront um, I just said, well, I'm not finding it, so I should just launch it. So here yeah. we are. And what were some of the major, I guess, as you were figuring this out, and we all go through this discovery phase of figuring yeah. things out, you know, um, you know, what was standing out to you about the industry that you wanted to make sure if I do this, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Like what were the, I know there's a lot of different things about the fashion industry, but what really yes. was important to you and stood out? That's a major issue that we're tackling here that you want to do differently. So I, there were a couple things that struck me as, as really important, um, from the get go. And one of them was using fabrics that are either organic or, um, upcycled and then also ethical production. Um, and there's a lot of greenwashing in the industry, I think, uh, specifically now with, with the industry, it's kind of trendy or cool to, to be sustainable or have a sustainability initiative embedded into, um, a brand. But I, I wanted to be transparent and have integrity in that rather than just say, Oh, well, we do one, one piece, um, that's kind of sustainable or that I can pass off as sustainable. I didn't want anything to do that because having been in the industry in a different way, I saw that, I saw that, um, women, and now unfortunately this is, this is happening to men. We've all been kind of sold a bill of goods where we need to consume different things every season and it has to be very trend driven. And it's like, we're all kind of women. And as I said, now men we're locked into the cycle of consumption. And I thought that's, that's not really the way it should be. I understand that that drives more profits, but it's, it's not in alignment within my opinion of, of running an ethical brand to, to 
constantly be in this loop of buy and do away with what you had. I, I think that that's probably one of the least sustainable things we can do also. So I wanted to really drive a product that we led with style and quality and wearability season after season and year after year, something that wasn't going to fall apart in a washing machine, which happens with a lot of swimwear, unfortunately, after, you know, you wear it for summer, it's just done. It looks trashed. Um, but (laughs) I'm, yeah, I'm proud to say with the materials that we use and the, and the, um, manufacturing process that we use that that isn't the case um just to test this i kept the very first suit that we that we cut and sewed for myself and i wear the heck out of it and it's still it's still going so um (laughs) i wanted to lead with that and then also um you know i've i've seen sweatshops when i was interviewing uh garment production here in los angeles and i previously thought they only existed you know in mainland china or or sub-Saharan Africa, but they are they are underground parking um, lots here in Los Angeles in the financial district I've seen. So it's just, and they're quite sad places, and a lot of brands use them because it you know can double or triple your your profit margin. But yeah. I didn't want anything to do with that. So you know, just really those were the key factors that I really wanted to consider in in even coming up with a prototype. Um, and if we couldn't meet. Um, if we couldn't meet those standards, I was going to step back and, and revisit how to do things in a better way. I, I definitely believe that the fashion industry is operating as kind of an old dinosaur crawling around yeah. um, from ethical and sustainable standpoints. And and it, it's, it's changing, but it needs to change more quickly and catch up with consumer demand and doing things in the right way, is my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you brought up washing <laughs> and... and you- and you brought up, you know, a couple of key things that were important to you. And I think there is, there's just, you know what, it's like not greenwashing has come up when, it's, when the sustainability movement got traction. Um, and I realized that it's greenwashing isn't, it's, it's for everything. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, it's really just everybody wants to pretend to be something in order to get the, reap the benefits, but not actually yep. follow through and, and act, you know, walk the walk. Um, and we see it so much. So I, um, now if you, so as you explore this and you figure out like how you're going to set up your business, um, were you talking to like, were you looking at manufacturers overseas or just in the U S? So initially we were just looking in the U S just because, um, launching the brand, it was just myself and, and one other woman. And we, we just really wanted to make sure we had full visibility on, on what was going on. We didn't want someone to say, Oh yeah, we're going to make this, but we're, we're going to send pieces over to XYZ factory and we don't have visibility on that. And then we're calling ourselves an ethical and sustainable brand. But, um, we really wanted to make sure that was the case. Yeah. And also support the local garment industry here. Um, a lot of it post-2008 went overseas, and there are just so many talented people here we wanted to support. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm always curious about that because, you know, we're, we're not e-commerce on our end, and I, mm. um, I have explored those ideas, and I'm looking at things like Alibaba, and I'm just like, wow, so yeah. there's just a million different things, and then what, you got to <laughs> travel all over the place and look at these places, and it just got overwhelming to me. I mean, keeping it in the States is nice. I mean, 
in my mind, more importantly, I, I, I like what you said is like, it's easier to, to manage if it's in the States cause you can visit yeah. and things like that. That's smart. Um, I guess the most important thing would be getting the quality of the product as in sustainable or whatever materials and all those things. Um, sometimes that stuff can get really expensive in state. Um, did you notice big differences at all or, or, or not really? You're quite right. I, it, it definitely is more expensive. I think just because the sustainable market is kind of um, a niche market still, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's definitely going to be what I've seen about double or triple the cost. But on, on the flip side of that coin is that it matches the quality with that too from what mm, I've seen. So, okay. I mean, I just think from the perspective of building a better product, it makes sense because our customers being interested in sustainability, they don't want to just buy something and throw it away, um, after, after one season. So, um, yeah, I, it is more expensive though. And it's, it's unfortunately unavoidable. We get all our materials from Italy, so it's even more expensive, but, <laughs> but worth it. Yeah. I mean, listen, listen, that is this, the, the differentiating selling point just has to be clear and you're right. Indeed. People will pay for better quality, meaning I don't want to buy 10 bathing suits. I want to buy one, (laughs) you know, and my wife and I, like, I literally was just buying, we were looking cause we bought our first house a while ago and we're like buying a lawnmower. And I'm like, I could use the exercise anyway. So let me, you know, we're paying someone (laughs) to cut the lawn right now. I was like, I can do it once in a while too. And as soon as we go to buy anything, I'm like, you know, I could get this like lawnmower for like 200 bucks, but then I'm going to end up buying another one a year later. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that piece of crap is going to fall. It's the same idea with any product, right? Like yeah. you always want to buy, it's more expensive to buy cheap than it is to just get quality right out of the gate. Right. So true. Yeah. That makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. So I think that's worthwhile. I think that's good. And you know, one thing that's challenging in this marketplace is, um, and I don't know if you've seen this is like, well, everyone will quickly fill out a survey or tell people that they support sustainable products and that's what that they're going to spend more on organic, sustainable, whatever it might be. But it's odd because the survey data says, Whoa, look at this. Look at these behaviors and attitudes are all in line with this. I'm going to, I'm going to create this sustainable product. We're going to be rich. Um, (laughs) but then when push comes to shove and they got to put money down and they see a really cool bathing suit from like H and M for $15 versus another one for 75 at like scotch and soda or something. Um, you know, they're like, eh, okay, I'm going to get the one for 20 bucks. And this is what's happening. And it's a very interesting disconnect about what they, what they want to feel and say and do, but what they actually act on. It's so true. And, and I think it's, you know, just to give everyone a brief little history lesson, it's the fashion industry in 2008, when we, we had the economic crisis, Mm. a lot of, um, a lot of our production was sent offshore and in order to compensate for, for, and kind of correct consumers, not purchasing, um, and looking for discount goods or not purchasing at all. Um, the market was flooded, if, if everyone remembers, back with a lot of fast fashion. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, it's the $5 T-shirt or the $20 jeans. And y- y- as you said, the $15 bathing suit or swim trunks. And it's just, 
you know, or, or five pairs of socks for like 10 bucks. And (laughs) there's a cost associated with that. Like who doesn't want to buy something and pay less? Everyone does, of course. But at the same time, there is a cost associated with that. And, and a lot of those costs are, you know, we're, we're destroying waterways by dumping toxic chemicals from carcinogenic dyes into waterways. And guess what? Those dyes go into your bloodstream via the largest organ. We all have our skin, um, you know, and that's, that's probably a whole nother discussion. Um, there's a human cost associated, which is there's an estimated, I think it's 20 million people in modern slavery, which are in the fashion industry, garment production industry. And that's just below, um, tech and animal agriculture. So fashion industry isn't really doing well with, with rankings on, um, human rights, labor, um, laws being upheld because a lot of it is done in, in third world economies where there, those regulations aren't in place. Or as I mentioned, like underground kind of secret places in just under our noses and in other global cities and first world countries. So it's like, yeah, I want that $15 bikini, but what is it? What is the cost associated with it? And you're right. It is like, it's like your lawnmower. You're just going to end up buying another one. So it's kind of like we all have to be retrained. And unfortunately the, the garment industry, like the market isn't going to do it for us. We have to, I think it's a reprioritization of our values. It's like, if we look at our parents' closet or grandparents' closets, they had like, four or five really nice suits. You know, my grandmother had like four or five really nice dresses, some suits, and then some things to wear to like a wedding or a cocktail party. And she wasn't, she might add a thing or two a year, same with my grandfather, but it wasn't this constant consumption of, of crap. Um, and so it's, it's like, what are we buying? And, and like we're throwing it away. It's going in a landfill. Uh, I would say about 80% of the clothing being made is polyester or acrylic, which is plastic. So yeah. And it's, you know, we're pumping, um, I, I believe we're pumping about 70 million barrels annually of, of crude oil, um, to produce virgin polyester. So it's like, you know, and that contributes to oil spills and fracking. So it's just, what is the cost for that $15, um, swimsuit? And I think that it's a lot to ask consumers to sit and break that all down. It's taken me years to research and I'm a little, I'm obsessed with it. So for me, it's fun, but it's, it's a lot to ask as someone who just wanted to go out and get a t-shirt. So I think brands need to be more responsible. And unfortunately it's like going in a grocery store just because something's on the shelf doesn't mean it's good for you to put in your body. So, you know, we kind of have to empower ourselves and take that back and be like, no, I don't want to wear something made by a slave that has a carcinogenic azo dye in it. It's just gross. So I'm going to pay 30 bucks more. I mean, it's a tough, you're right. It's a tough (laughs) shift for people. And I think, you know, the more I learn about human behavior and understanding how environment triggers behavior, it's like... I've, I struggle, um, you know, how do I want to say this? So for example, can we really rely on people to make the decisions like that? Right. Cause they're in a position where they have all these considerations and it's like, well, sure. I can't afford this right now. Or it's, and like they have this intention where it's like, it's an honorable intention. That's what they want to do. But when push comes to shove and they have to, they're scraping by ch- check to check, it's like, well, I've, I just can't afford to do that. And so 
I think it's challenging because in capitalism, we have to build businesses and there's always going to be somebody out there cutting the corners to be higher uh, uh, profits, uh, to to be Mm -hmm. higher profits, to have higher profits. And that means to do these things that maybe no one else is doing, right? It could be child labor, could be polluting. Someone's always going to be doing that. And we have to rely on the consumer to make the smart choice. When in reality, the way it would work best is if the environment itself didn't rely on the consumer, just any choice they had, the status quo was these, these operations were done in a proper way like you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and you're so right. I mean, it's just all things being considered. And when the market is offering you, you know, from let's use H and M as an example, like they, they position themselves as a, a conscious brand, they're conscientious of their production. Well, not to knock H and M, but yes and no, if you look at the data. So I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there and, and you're right. It should, people should be able to to make that decision. But what I found, even from a consumer standpoint, being a consumer of, of sustainable fashion as much as possible myself, there aren't that many alternatives out there. And the ones <laughs> right. that are, yeah, you have to retain yourself, say, yeah, I want a sweatshirt. Well, that one's $90, but it's organic. And it's the, the price, I think we need to meet in the middle. Like There needs to be more accessibility for manufacturers and brands to to make things that have a profit margin that are acceptable to do business and support um, support production economies that that the consumer can consider accessible. We can't just make sustainability and ethic, you know, ethical fashion a, a luxury option. It's right. like organic food, like organic food. Now you go into some like dollar stores, there's organic lettuce. Like it, it has to be accessible. I know. And that, that is the biggest challenge I see yeah. with a lot of these brands. And, um, if someone's going to tell me that the quality, not only is it organic and sustainable, but the quality of it is going to last me like, Oh, you can put this in the wash a thousand times and you can wear it, you know, roughhousing with the kids outside, mm-hmm. you know, for three years. And look, it's still the same high quality shirt or pants. I, that sells me cause I'm buying the quality. So it all of a sudden, like the sustainable part of it is nice because you're making a conscious decision. But as far as making sure you're getting your money's worth that, I think that quality over time factor comes in pretty big. Yeah. Then you're like sold. I'll take it. There's, yeah. there's a value add beyond my just feeling good about it. Like it. I'm actually going to get my money's worth. It's like a little return on your investment for your being able to wear it for a few years. You said, yeah, rough housing with your kids and your dog. It's, it's going to pay off. But so I think manufacturers, just what you said, Adam, they need to take that into account as well, because that will be a value add for customers. So for those who are considering, um, a sustainable or an ethical brand, like, yeah, embed that in the product and, and then it becomes interesting to people. And then also like things that aren't so trend driven, um, because it's a little trick that the fashion industry is is done on us oh, to keep profits yeah, up, yeah. right? I mean, but it's not necessary. It's it's just the way it's been done. It doesn't need to be the way it, it continues to operate. 
No, no, you're right. And uh, and that's where the higher price comes in, too. We're mm-hmm. not just going to keep selling you a bunch of random things. It's it's always in <laughs> style. <laughs> yeah, you'll be good in a year or two. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Smart people wear a lot of the same thing all the time. Remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's more it efficient. Is. It is like a uniform. But Where's my black yeah. T-shirt and jeans? That's my outfit. <laughs> yep, the uniform dressing. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit, um, what were some of the most, I actually, before I even ask that, um, does the higher cost necessarily come from the manufacturer or from the materials that need to be accessed? So it's, it's kind of twofold. So I, I mean, I, in an ideal world, um, the savings would be passed on to the customer, right? Like I'm not going to create some, some, you know, arbitrarily high profit margin for myself, um, to, to qualify the fact that I bought some fabric that was more expensive. Um, with what we use specifically, the matter of the fact is, even though it shouldn't be the case, like organic cotton farming or, or like hemp farming, because it uses like bugs don't like hemp. They're just not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole. So you don't even need insecticides on it. Um, (laughs) so it's nice. It's, it's just, yeah, it's not something they have an appetite for. So you would think that would be less expensive because it's less, um, it's more efficient to produce, you know, it's, it's less like hours tending the plant, but that's not the case because it's still kind of a niche product. They're producing less of it. So it's more expensive. And with the swimwear fabric we use, uh, there are actually teams of divers. And then recently we worked with the Marine Conservation Group, Sea Shepherd, and they're pulling out like plastic poachers nets um, that it's crazy. Like some of them are miles long each. So there's not a cost associated with getting like besides the crews pulling them up, but it's like the product is already there and you just, there's a process to like grind it up and, and, and turn it into fabric. So, you know, it, it is, I think it's more expensive because less of it is being done. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, we just live in a world where like if something doesn't have all the, the chemical compounds and whatnot going into it, it's, it's going to take more time potentially to produce because again, less of it is just, there's less demand for it. Um, so I think once that demand grows, then things will become more accessible. So when more brands, you know, companies get on the bandwagon of, of utilizing these materials, it's going to be better for all of us. Oh yeah. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. It's like going Costco versus the, the family owned little corner. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Who we should support, but it may be double the price. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Oh my God. It's tough, man. But I, yeah, I guess I, then I'm, it kind of leads me into my question I wanted to ask before is just what have been some of the challenges for you personally, not just with, you know, I guess just anything in the scope of getting your business off the ground, uh, that you've had to overcome, um, you know, during your process since you started. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I think some of the, some of the things that we roadblocks that we ran up 
um, against initially have what I've been proudest of, of having kind of, um, as our, our brand ID later on and, and really what has made, I believe the brand, um, worthwhile and special. Like when, when I was starting out, um, and trying to source some, some organic or upcycled fabrics, people would be like, well, I have no idea why you want this. This is not the way it's done. (laughs) And I got so much pushback, you know, and, and now this is what is the differentiating factor of what we do and why we do it. So there was a lot of that and just, I mean, finding things that are, are a reasonable price um, and that it's still in the fashion industry, a lot of the organic stuff, it's like, I mean, I don't, you know, Whole Foods has like a, a little clothing section in some of their stores and it's nice. It's like fair trade cotton, um, the manu- like the quality is not always... Um, it's not always like a lot of longevity built into the product because it's, it's, it's not supposed to be a luxury product. Um, but it's like finding things that will last. It's like using some of those organic fabrics. It's nice. It, it supports fair trade and it supports, you know, organic farming. But then I think, I think looking at things and being like, well, I can't use that because I've bought those before and they fall apart after being washed four times or shrink. And so it's like, Finding something that is going to be functional, stylish, um, and have some longevity and then be, have quality production. And like when I was trying to put all those pieces together, again, I kept getting pushback of why would you want to do that? (laughs) Why would I want, why would I want that when I can go to Whole Foods and get, you know, the organic underwear for like 15, $18? Why would I want to pay more? Why are you making this? Like show us where the demand is. And, um, Again, I, I feel like the pushback that we got um, is what has made us special. So I'm glad we stuck through it, but it's still it's still a process that is consistently being worked out. So I, I don't want to say that that's totally in the rear view. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, and what what do you? I guess what's the vision now for you over, let's say, in 12 months? Like, what does your brand look like? Um, so we're continuing to grow our, our swimwear line. Uh, I, I mentioned that we had recently worked with the Marine Conservation Group Sea Shepherd. So, um, they had pulled out 40 tons of nets out of a Marine reserve. These were poachers nets from, um, Chinese fishing boats that they're shark fishing nets. So it's for, um, shark finning. Mm. And some of these are worth like 10 grand each. Um, you know, they're, they're not supposed to be there and they kind of have to sneak in and be very stealth and drop these nets that are pretty much unbreakable. So we are very proud to be able to work with, um, different nonprofits to, to kind of highlight what they're doing and then show how the fashion industry, I think it's interesting that the fashion industry has a lot of power because it's got a lot of visibility and it's like, um, you know, people pay attention to fashion. So one of the things we like to do is, is partner with, um, nonprofits or causes that are tied to the fashion industry or tie them in, um, different ways. Um, like canopy planet, we also work with as a nonprofit, they, um, they work to protect global forest areas from the fashion industry. And it's like a lot of people don't know that millions of trees, um, old growth trees even are logged every year to produce cheap fabric, rayon and, and viscose. Um, so it's, I think we'd like to continue to raise awareness, um, about 
protecting key um, conservation areas by which can be actually done through fashion consuming, which I think is kind of cool. Um, so we'd like to continue on in that vein. And then also we're rolling out a couple new product lines. Um, one is going to be um, lingerie for women. And so we're going to be doing all organic fabrics dyed with um, botanical, totally non-toxic natural dyes. Because I saw that there's a lot of organic like underwear or socks out there. And those are the things that are closest to our lymphatic system where yeah. we absorb like a lot of what we put on our body, which is kind of scary that most of it is pretty toxic. So, and then there's a lot of organic stuff out there, but it's dyed with chemical dyes that kind of negates the fact it was organic to begin with. Um, nice. Another greenwashing issue. So we're going to do like totally clean. We're excited about that. So um, just, you know, I would really like to grow the brand and offer more um, to consumers, um, and, and a more diverse product range with, uh, diverse partnerships to just really highlight that sustainable fashion can be functional and stylish. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're partnering with lots of different nonprofits. Um, and I guess what about like, how has it been from an e-commerce standpoint in fashion, you know, marketing, like getting set up with an e-commerce shop, like, are you know, or is your site on Shopify? Are you doing your own thing? I think some of those little details might be helpful for people just to see like what you kind of worked through and where you landed. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, we're on Shopify, which is, which has definitely helped. Um, I think that's important for product base, um, e-commerce platforms. And, um, also, We've just started exploring doing um, some some different partnerships um, and, and some digital marketing. Um, and then we have also partnered with some influencers that are aligned with the brand. So from a marketing perspective, um, when we started out, it was just kind of organic word of mouth. But now, as, as we've, which is amazing um, that we got a lot of brand ambassadors that way. Um, just aligning with, with some people's, uh, principles and what they were interested in and, and they're being excited to take part in. We were really bl honored and blessed to have from day one, but now growing, um, we've partnered with a really amazing app. I don't know if you're a lot of your, um, listeners or your community have checked this out, but it's called good on you. And it's a, they're out of Australia and they're an app that ranks, um, pretty much every brand out there, um, in terms of sustainability, ethical production. So it's a really nice resource for consumers to be able to just have on their phone or check out online. And you're like, Oh, I really like this brand. What are they up to? Is this sustainable or not? And they, they kind of do all the research for you and then tell you why it is good or not based upon their, um, rather thorough rating system. So we've partnered with them um, to, to promote our brand, um, digitally as well. So, so yeah, we're just exploring a few different options and then, and we're looking into getting into a, um, some, I know it's a funny time for a lot of businesses right now, but, um, we're, we're looking to expand into Australia, um, Southern hemisphere a bit more as well. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, listen, I want to make sure you get a chance to give a shout out. So anybody interested in checking out your uh, shop and what you offer and all that good stuff, the products, um, where do they go? 
Totally. So um, online, check us out at sagelarock.com and then feel free to message us on Instagram if you have any questions. Um, it's sage underscore Larock. Um, and, and yeah, we're happy to answer any questions about sustainability. We love to chat about that. So uh, yeah, and look forward to connecting with people. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing all your insights and doing what you do. Appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the Change Creator podcast. Visit us at changecreator.com forward slash go big to get access to free downloads and other great resources that will drive your business forward.